0: Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message.
1: Would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to ask Linda just to continue to play for a moment. Maybe that's the prayer of your heart today. After you heard the music and the testimony, you just want to say, Lord, there is none like you. That's the prayer of your heart today. I just want to encourage you just to tell the Lord that this morning. He's listening. Father, there is none like you. For from you flow all living water. As we've been studying, Lord, we know that you are the bread of life. You are the living water. Where else can we go but to you? Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together in this place and to worship you. What an incredible gift. Lord, I I pray this morning, Jesus, would you please speak to our hearts today? Please don't allow us to go through the outward motions... God, please don't allow me to go through the outward motions of worship and not try to allow your Holy Spirit to tune my heart to what it is that you want to say to me today. Lord, I pray that prayer for these friends in this place, who no doubt come from all kinds of uh, all kinds of days of the week. For some, I know it's been a difficult week, a challenging week. For some, a good week. Lord, but despite the circumstances of our week, maybe even this morning, I pray that you would tune our hearts into what you have to say to us today, because I believe, Lord, you do have something to say. May we hear it today and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it's so good to be with you today. Uh, wow. Wow you've got your Bible, I want you to open to John chapter 7 as we continue our study in uh, John's gospel. Uh, We were talking last week uh, about the fact that Jesus, uh, most of the people who were following Jesus were followers, but they weren't really desiring to be a disciple. They were following after Jesus for what they could get from him. And uh, everybody started to kind of disperse and go on their own way and if you remember Jesus looked at his disciples and said are you guys going to leave me too and the one who normally stuck his foot in his mouth gave some words of wisdom and Peter said Lord where in the world would we go because you have the words of life and shortly after that story the crowd continues to try to get Jesus's attention Some following him for good reasons, some not for good reasons, not the right reasons. And they begin to have this dialogue as he goes into Galilee. And I encourage you to read the first part of chapter 7. They get back and forth and they're still trying to figure out who this man is who is working these miracles. Some people think that he's a demon. Some people think that he's a prophet. They have all kinds of thoughts and opinions about who he is. And it finally gets to the last day of a particular feast that was going on, this big festival that was happening. Uh, And uh, we're going to talk about that. It was the Feast of Booths or the Festival of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, this big festival that was happening. And they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. I think I remember sharing this story with you some time ago. Uh, I'd been asked to speak at this youth festival. This was a long time ago. I was probably in my mid-20s. And uh, the guy who asked me to come, who was a youth pastor friend of mine, the big festival was in Gatlinburg, said, uh, let's have a little bit of fun with the teenagers. Could you uh, dress up as a homeless person and we will pick you up on the interstate on the way up to Gatlinburg? and uh, you can be hitchhiking and we'll pick you up. And so I played up the part. I wallowed around in the ditch beside the interstate and I got mud all over me and found some uh, alcohol beer cans and poured over me. I mean, I worked up the part and I'm standing there with this backpack on and I'm ready to thumb on the side of the road. And of course, you know, uh, ironically, the church bus just happens to be coming by and they pull over the side of the road. And long story short, I get in and I begin this journey on this bus and it was interesting people's opinion, especially the chaperones that were on the bus because some of them were up front and uh, were at the very back of the youth pastor who was driving the bus giving him their opinion about should they have stopped or should they have not stopped. Meanwhile, I'm in the very back of the bus sitting with some of the students and they're dialoguing with me, and I can hear the whispers about what some people are saying. Some people think I'm this. Some people think I'm really a homeless person. Some people think I'm a, a murderer, you know, that's going to kill everybody on the church bus. I mean, I'm hearing all these conversations go on. And ironically, I just happened to be going to Gatlinburg as well, which was very convenient. And I remember we rolled into Gatlinburg. And if you've been there, you know, it's kind of at the bottom of the hill down there. And, and I conveniently tell them, hey, you can just let me off right here is fine. I was right here. This is where I need to be right here in Gatlinburg. My grandmother, I made up some story lives right over here. They let me out. And then they turned up the hill to go up to the hotel where the festival and all these youth groups are going to be. And as they let me out, I remember taking off down this back alley and I'm running as fast as I can to the same hotel because that's where I was staying uh, to get checked into my room, which had already been prearranged. And, and I get checked into my room and I take a shower and shave and try to get cleaned up. Little did they know I was the, one of the speakers for that event. And so when I came out to the platform, I got all kinds of reactions. Some people didn't even notice the difference. I guess it was such a stark contrast from what I looked like before to what I looked like on the stage. But the ones that did notice the difference were not very happy with me. Uh, They were not happy that they had been tricked. Uh, Jesus is not tricking the people here. He is who he says he is. There's no trickery, there's no disguise, but he's walking amongst these people at this festival and they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. And a series of days have gone by and John is going to tell us they actually get to the last day of the festival. Let's actually read it, verse 37. Here's what happened. On the last day, this great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Now let me stop right there. I don't know many translations, and if you go back and you look at the original Greek language, most of the, most of the time when Jesus spoke, he was a gentle person. He would speak, but the, but the way this is in the original language, Jesus is actually shouting. Maybe because he's trying to get their attention, because some of them maybe aren't paying attention, I don't know. Maybe because they're distracted, maybe because the crowd is so large that he thought he wanted to make sure everyone heard. Maybe some people say, as, as I've done study on this chapter over the last few weeks. Some people say, maybe Jesus shouted to get their attention because it was the last day they were going to be together. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of last things that happened you. There was the last supper. There was the last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. There was this last day of the feast. Maybe Jesus knew there may not be another opportunity where all those people would be together. Never, ever another time like that where they would all be together at that particular place and time again. Can I just say something to you? There's not ever going to be another opportunity like today. The fact that you and I are here together in this Building together probably most likely will never ever happen again, like it is right now in this moment. Some of you might not be here next week, some of you make that aren't here might be here next week. So, the dynamic of this room, if we believe God is sovereign, and I do, God has a divine appointment for us today, and I believe He had a divine appointment for the people who were there to listen to Jesus that day. he says, John tells us that Jesus started to crowd, and here's what he said. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to that, because that's, that's powerful. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're going to come back to that. Verse 40, some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? They start to debate, who is Jesus? It reminds me of that story, some of you remember, when Jesus' disciples were hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus goes to his disciples and says, who do all those people say that I am? You remember Jesus asked his disciples that. And some of the disciples say, oh, Jesus, some of them say you're like, uh, well, you're like Jeremiah. Or you're like one of the prophets. And they start to throw out all these opinions. It's kind of the same thing that's going on here. All these opinions are happening. Verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ will come from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there arose a division in the multitude because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one had laid hands on him. The officers therefore came to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. The Pharisees therefore answered them, You've not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees have believed in him, has he? But this multitude which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus said to them, He who came to him before, being one of them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? They answered and said to him, You're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his home. Love this story. There's kind of four observations as I was reading this over the last several weeks that I see about this invitation that Jesus gives. He gives an invitation right at the very onset to the people who are listening. And that invitation, I could not do it more uh, eloquently or more simple... than what our friend Leonard has already given. The invitation that Jesus is getting ready to give is the same invitation that Leonard gave... which is the same invitation that we normally give at the close of our service, which is this. If you're a sinner and you're in need of Jesus... All you have to do is surrender your life to Him. Because in Him is found living water. He is the bread of life. What a great invitation. And Jesus gives that invitation. These people that are gathering around that day for this big festival are about to return to their homes. And Jesus has the opportunity to give the final word, the parting word, the send-off. The congregation is about to be dismissed, they're about to be scattered, and Jesus gives them the invitation. And here's the first thing that I note about this invitation, it is an important invitation. It's important. He's talking about living water. He says to them, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's an important invitation, especially in the world in which we live. This feast of tabernacles, it could be known also as the feast of booths because people, you'll, you'll know, some of you will know this, they lived at this particular time at this festival in booths or tents or, or these makeshift shelters, and they lived in these shelters for seven days. Now you say, why in the world would they do that? I don't even like camping. That's kind of how it was. They were, they were set up in these tents, and they did this to remember and commemorate God leading them. And delivering them for 40 years in the wilderness after freeing them from slavery. If you want to check out some of the historical story, you can read it in the book of Leviticus chapter 22 or Exodus chapter 23. So this is a commemorative thing that they're doing and they do to remember what Jesus did for them. And Jesus, in the midst of this festival that's going on at the close of this festival, says to them, Hey, if anybody's thirsty, he cries out. Anybody out here thirsty, come to me, and I will give you a drink. It's an important invitation. He gave the same, similar invitation to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, if you want to read and remember that story, when he went to that woman, and she's digging in a physical well, and Jesus said, ah, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you the living water, and you'd never thirst. And she's thinking, wow, i never have to come to this well again. I like that. There was water here, too, in this story. Why in the world would Jesus suddenly start shouting about drinking and taking rivers of living water? It's this last day, of this great day of the feast. And, and historically, I had to do a little bit of research on this to refresh my memory. But historically, what happened was, you can check this out in the book of Psalm, chapter 118. I encourage you to take notes on Sunday morning because... Some of you are older than me and I forget. You won't forget if you write things down. I forget the statistic. I think it's you remember more than 70% of what you write down. I need to write this down because I've already forgotten. Psalm 118. There's this chant that they would do. The priest would walk around the altar seven times and they would chant these words. They would say, I pray, Lord, save now. I pray, Lord, send prosperity now. And as they did that, they would pour out this water that they had, that they had gotten from the pool of Siloam. And they would pour the water around the altar and they would do that seven times. As a reminder... Of what God did for them and providing for them as they went through the wilderness. They would pour out on the altar reminding everybody that Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator. Had miraculously provided for their every need as they went through the wilderness. But what was interesting on this day. The last day of the festival. The eighth day. There was no water being poured out on the eighth day because on the eighth day you just praise Jesus for what he had already done the other 7 days when they would go around the altar and they would pour out those out of the pots that they had had, had uh, put the water in some say it was gold pots some say it was silver i don't know but after they would pour that out for 7 days commemorating what god had done for them on the eighth day there was no water pouring so get the picture in your mind the eighth day there's not supposed to be any water being poured and all of a sudden jesus stands up and goes hey you thirsty? Come to me. You've been over there pouring water all over the altar over there. I'm the one who's got the real water. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the religious people started freaking out as they tended to do all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. They were not, wait a minute, whoa. We just did this commemorative, ritualistic celebration. Celebration. Of what God did for us and our people to get us, uh, uh, deliver us from captivity and to bring us into the promised land. And now here this heretic is, standing over there on the platform, yelling, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. It was like, can you imagine seeing that? So it's important to understand where Jesus was. What they would normally be doing on that eighth day is they would only have prayers For water To remind them that Jesus, God Almighty, had delivered them into the promised land. So this was the time that Jesus is sharing. And by the way, this is about six months before the Passover of His death. It's important where Jesus said these words to the people. Where this invitation was given. This invitation was important because of where He was standing. No doubt, if you go back and look at the earlier part of this chapter, verse 14. He was standing in the temple where the rabbinical training was happening, where these young guys were being trained to be rabbis, and where the official rabbis, those of the Sanhedrin and the important religious people, would normally be teaching. And all of a sudden, Jesus has taken that place, and he's standing there. By the way, these young boys who would aspire to be a rabbi had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. How's your scripture memory going today? Some of us say it's hard to memorize a verse of scripture. They memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah, all those tough names that are hard to pronounce. Those first five books. And by the time they were 13, they would stand in front of a rabbi and they would quote those from memory. If they were going to be trained to be a rabbi. Young people, I love you guys as you know. And I just want to tell you, and young at heart, folks, I want to tell you, we've talked about this over the last few months, and I need to do a better job myself, so confession from the pastor. Scripture memory is important. There's passages and verses of Scripture I memorized when I was a teenager that God uses last week to help me make right decisions. So these guys were, had quite a job in front of them. This is the place where Jesus is sharing These words where he's crying out, and it's the last day of this festival. And he says to them, let him come to me. Not this ceremonial law that they had been teaching, but he tells the crowd, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. He's got that same important invitation for you and I today. If you're thirsty, come to him. Second thing I noticed, though, about those words that's important is it's the invitation that Jesus gives is inclusive. It's inclusive. It's broad because it includes everybody. Jesus says, hey, if anybody's thirsty. He doesn't say, hey, if you're a fan of the Pharisees. Hey, if you're a Republican. Hey, if you're a white guy. It's anybody. It's inclusive. And John's emphasis on the fact that he says in those verses, verse 37, on the last day, probably indicates this huge thing that Jesus is saying. Which is, hey, there's not any more water at the temple, but if you want real water, that you'll never thirst again. I've got the water you're looking for. And he's offering that water to anybody who wants this water. But there is one caveat, one disclaimer, one little small print that you need to read there. We don't talk about this too much in church. We don't talk about this too much in Christianity right now because we like to lean on the fact that we're all love and we like to love everybody. And we say, whosoever will come. And it's exactly true what what Leonard shared with us. You start your first step to Jesus, he's going to run to you. But there's a condition. The condition is, are you thirsty? Because he says, if anybody's thirsty, see, in our world, I got to be honest, I think a lot of people are not thirsty. I'm thirsty. A lot of people aren't thirsty, like the woman at the well. I think Jesus kind of said to her in a way, you've dug all these spiritual wells in your life, looking for love in all the wrong places with all these guys. The guy that you're with now is not your husband. Are you thirsty? I like the way Leonard shared it in his testimony. The prodigal son. When he finally came to his senses and realized, okay, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm thirsty for something different. Then at that point, the invitation became real. And in our world, we have a lot of people trying to satisfy their thirst with a lot of different things. And Jesus makes it clear here. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then he says this in verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Wow, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But let me just, I can't not, it's a double negative, I'm sorry. I can't not hit on a couple of those things that he says there, that are implied. And if you, depending on what translation you've got, a lot of, a lot of our scriptures have added I was preached out of the New American Standard, which is closest to the Greek, at least for the New Testament. My translation, verse 39, says this. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Our translations, even New American Standard, has added the word given. What he's actually saying there is, the Spirit is not yet And the Spirit is not yet, the Spirit is coming, but the Holy Spirit is not yet because I haven't been glorified yet. And when I get glorified, when I am crucified, when I pay the ransom for your sin and I am crucified and I die, I'm going to send one more equally as powerful as me. It's the Holy Spirit who will come to dwell with you at Pentecost and will come inside you. And that's the teaser. He's not giving a spoiler alert here. He's actually giving a teaser. This is what's going to come. And the living water that's going to flow out of you is going to flow out of you. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my concern in my own life, church, and and my concern for you too as a believer. There's a lot of things that we can do. And a great testimony illustrated this this morning. That we can still be children of God, but yet not have the power of the inner working of the Holy Spirit within us. And it doesn't mean we're going to go to hell, but it does mean we're not living with the power of the Spirit working within us. And the power of the Spirit doesn't just work to do work within us, but to flow out of us, which is why he says there, it shall become like flowing rivers of living water. The Spirit dwelling in us and working in us as believers is this fountain of living, running water. Cleanses us, moistens us, softens our heart to hear God's voice. And in my life, and I would guess in your life, sometimes the reason that flowing Holy Spirit is not active is because one of two things happens, and we may talk about this on some Sunday down the road. We are either quenching the Holy Spirit, which means God has told us to do something through His Spirit. He spoke to our hearts. He's told us to do something, and we're like, no, not right now. Not right now. Not right now. It's like you're in a restaurant, and... You finish eating your meal, you're getting ready to pay, and the Holy Spirit says, you just need to just drop, a, just drop an encouragement, maybe a spiritual word to your host, to your waitress, to your waiter, and you go, uh, not right now, not right now, God, no, 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 not right now. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you continue to say no when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that's quenching the Holy Spirit. The other thing that we sometimes do is we grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, that's when, God, uh, we do something that we're not supposed to do. Where God has warned us to protect us and to watch over us. And we're like, no, God, I'm not going to listen to you. You're the creator of the world. You don't know anything. I'm going to do what I want. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. And so these words that Jesus is saying are so very important. His invitation is inclusive. But the other thing, if you keep reading, that almost sounds like it doesn't go together. It's almost like a paradox. They don't go together. It's inclusive, but it's also divisive. Because we read, John says in verse 40, some of the multitude, they hear these things and they start to form their opinions. And you get to verse 43, there arose a division in the multitude because of Him. Some said one thing about Jesus. Some said another thing about Jesus. You know, I think it's interesting though. I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of opinions. But here, here's what I know about Jesus. There's no way for anybody to truly come face-to-face with Jesus and be confronted with Jesus and remain neutral. It's impossible. You either agree with Jesus and who He says He is and follow Him, or you reject what He says. There's no middle ground. I think He said it this way in the book of Revelation. There is no... uh, lukewarmness you're either hot or you're cold there is no lukewarm you have to make a decision about what you think about the claims of jesus and jesus invitation is decisive i mean they start to argue about well wow could the christ actually come out of galilee verse 41 then they start to question was it bethlehem this word division by the way in the original language uh, can be actually better translated violent dissension And some of the people we know were ready to take up his cause. And some of the people we know were actually ready to put him to death. And what's inferred from here, again, if you go back and you read all the the earlier chapters and you get to this point. There's an interesting question that one of the officers actually says, verse 45. The officers come to the chief priest and the Pharisees and they said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Apparently behind the scenes, what has already taken place, that's not going to play out for another several months because it's not time for Jesus to be arrested and to be led to be crucified. Already behind the scenes, there's an arrest warrant probably that has already been sent out. And they're wondering, why are you letting this guy teach? Did Did we not issue an all points bulletin to go pick this guy up and let's arrest him? Let's be done with him. Let's put him away. What's going on? And their answer is, how in the world can we put this guy away? There's nobody that speaks like him. So already behind the scenes, there's this division happening. It's kind of scary. Jesus said it this way in Matthew's gospel. He said this, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Boy, that's not a speech at a political rally that will get you elected. Division. His invitation was divisive. It was going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, let me just say this because I know some people read this and they think, well, you know, that just means I can uh, argue about my preference and I can argue about my denomination and I can argue about this or that. Such division that he's talking about here should never, ever, ever exist among people who say they're followers of Jesus. We can sometimes fight with each other. We can... Uh, rebuke each other, but when it comes to us agreeing, if we say Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the salvation of the world, we can't get to God without the blood of Jesus Christ. We're washed in the blood. We're resting in Christ. All our hope is in Christ. On those things we can agree, then we should be able to get along with one another. But his invitation did cause division. So here's the question that I wrote down in my notes. The world is great at getting the church divided divide and conquer are you divided see church i believe it takes uh energy and effort for churches to stay unified we cannot be passive we have to dig in and aggressively decide as a church family we're going to be unified and we're going to be unified around those things that i mentioned who jesus is Because the world's going to do everything in its power to cause division in the church. Why? Because they're used to being divided outside the church. They haven't even decided who Jesus is. And yet they see some people in the church arguing about things that don't really matter when we have decided who Jesus is. He's the king of the world. He's the almighty God. There's no way to heaven except through Jesus. So what else do we see about this invitation as we wrap up? I love this last thing that I see in this passage. Jesus' invitation is transformative. They're going round and round about who Jesus is, and all of a sudden, somebody speaks up. Somebody we've read about before, John chapter 3. A guy named Nicodemus. And he says to them, by the way, and John reminds us, he's the one who came to the Lord before. He came to Jesus at night and had that conversation. And Nicodemus says to them, hey, our law does not judge a man. Unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? In other words, give the guy a chance to speak before you start throwing him under the bus. Just be quiet. And they answered and said, you're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. I'm not sure what happened. This is another one of those million questions I've got on my list to ask when I get to heaven. What happened to Nicodemus... From John chapter 3 to this chapter, I'm assuming from what we read here that he must have mauled over and over in his mind and in his heart the conversation that he had with Jesus. And maybe he even kept up with the news about Jesus. Maybe he even was one of those followers watching him do these things and watching him do the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and and from a distance watching the woman at the well. I, I don't know. All these things that have happened. And it gets to this point where he actually stands up for Jesus by reminding the other leaders, his peers. Here's a whole other sermon right here for the young people and for us as adults. He actually speaks up in front of his peers. Basically, he says, leave him alone and be quiet. You're not even obeying your own law. You may say, what was that law? The Jewish law at that time was you never condemned an accused person before they had a chance to speak on their own. And yet there they are, breaking one of their own laws, one of their own many multitudes of thousands of little tivots of little laws that they created, and they're breaking one. And Nicodemus jumps in and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He stands up for Jesus. Transformative. His invitation was transformative. It was transformative, I'm assuming, in the life of Nicodemus. You say, what else makes you think, think that, Jack? Well, thank you for asking me. We'll get there eventually, but if you want to go ahead and read the rest of the story. By the way, I know how the story ends because i got the whole story right here. John chapter 19. Flip over to John chapter 19. What do we see about Nicodemus? John chapter 19, verse 39. Where else do we see Nicodemus? Nicodemus was there at the very end. What happened? Nicodemus, verse 39, chapter 19. Came also. He was the first to come to Jesus by night. This is at Jesus' burial, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in a linen wrapping. There, Jesus is at the bar- at, at Nicodemus is at the burial of Jesus. I think the words of Jesus transformed his life, from John chapter three all the way to here. What he does, and he's sticking up for Jesus. Going, wait a minute, the claims of this guy are real. It transformed his life. It actually transformed the crowd, by the way, right there. I mean, there's so many sermons just in this text. You say, how do you know it transformed the crowd? Look look at what happened to the crowd, verse 53. Everyone went to his own home. There's this festival happening. There's all this hoo-ha, all this stuff happening. Jesus speaks, hey, you want living? What They have this conversation. Nicodemus quiets the ones that are out there trying to speak harshly and accuse Jesus. And it's almost like in in the modern day term, he kind of dropped the mic. Nicodemus says his words, drop the mic. And what happens? Everybody goes, okay, we can't say anything else. Let's go home. Party over. Because Nicodemus stood up for Jesus. It was like this bombshell that kind of exploded in their midst. These few brave words that Nicodemus spoke to an assembly of bad guys. Who all they wanted to do was harass Jesus. So here's. The question this morning. The invitation of Jesus transformed Nicodemus. Has it transformed you? Has it transformed me? It's an important invitation. It's important because outside of Jesus there is no salvation. Outside of Jesus there is no living water. Because he is the living water. He is the bread of life. If you received it today, then you have the opportunity... To share that with other people. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the invitation that you have given us today to receive. Lord, because uh, I will confess to you, I believe most of the friends in this room would confess to you, we are thirsty. We are in a world that tries to quench our thirst with so many things that really don't do it. I pray that we would turn to you because you have the living water. This morning, friend, as you're there in your seat, maybe you're visiting. If you are, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you've been here for a long time. One thing about an invitation is you have to respond to the invitation. One way or another. I know in our culture we put RSVP on some things and some of us never even reply. That doesn't work with the invitation of Jesus. We have to respond or reject what it is he's trying to say to us. He's extending an invitation to you and me today. He says, here I am, I have the living water. That water that when you receive it out of you will become more living water because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, if you've never received that transforming power of Jesus in your life, His grace and His love, I want to invite you in just a minute. We're going to to have a song of invitation, which simply means we're going to sing a song and invite you to respond to what God has said to you today. You may want to come and just kneel at the front and pray. You may want to grab my hand, or I'm going to ask Corey and my friend Heath to come stand with me. You want to grab their hand and pray this morning. You may want to stand right there in your seat and just... Raise your hand and say, God, thank you for the invitation you gave me that I said yes to however many years ago that's transformed my life. Today, you may say, Lord, I need to share that invitation with somebody else. I don't know what God is saying to your heart today, but I pray that you'd be obedient. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this time of invitation. We give it to you and pray that you would be honored today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Joey's going to lead us in our song of invitation. However the Lord leads you to respond, we'll be here at the front to receive you today. Let's sing together.
0: We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.